Method to the Madness is next. You're listening to Method to the Madness, a weekly public affairs program here on KALX Berkeley featuring Bay Area innovators. I'm your host, Lisa Kiefer, and today I'm talking to Jamie Brooks, the U.S.-based campaign manager for the Think Beyond the Pump campaign. Welcome to the program, Jamie. Ah, thank you very much. First of all, what is Beyond the Pump? Well, Beyond the Pump, we're a uh, campaign happening here in uh, the Bay Area uh, that is seeking legislation to require a climate change information label, or if you want to call it a warning label, be posted on each gas pump. We have uh, drafted legislation here in San Francisco, and we think San Francisco will be the first city in the nation to vote this fall. We're, we, we don't have a hearing dates yet, uh, but we're, we're anticipating that uh, San Francisco will be the first. Uh, but Berkeley and Santa Monica and Southern California also have legislation to require uh, climate change. So, this so they're is all kind of waiting on San Francisco to move. Um, it's probably important to point out, too, that um, there's a sister campaign happening in Canada. Uh, it's called Our Horizon that has already passed the legislation into law in British Columbia. So a small city, North Vancouver, has passed it into law. So we should see climate change, warning labels, information labels being posted. So on who started this months. whole thing? Was it this Horizons group in Canada? So it was, we simultaneously came up with the idea unbeknownst to each other. Our Horizon, we just discovered each other about probably a six months into our campaign about three years ago. And uh, wow, you've been at three years at this. Yeah, it takes a little bit. If you want to do legislation, it takes a long time. You have to be a little bit obsessive to, uh, to do something like this. And there's lots of legal. Is it the uh, same in Canada? Because so Canada's First Amendment laws are a little less constricting as American ones. Uh, so they have been able to pass it into law in uh, British Columbia. Does that mean it's going to follow suit across the provinces, or is there a movement up yeah, there to do that? It'll be similar um, to the United States. It'll pass in in one city, and then the other cities within that province will take notice. And okay. it's happening kind of sporadically throughout Canada. Let's take a listen to Toronto-based lawyer Robert Shirky. Our Horizon is a national not-for-profit organization that is addressing the issue of climate change in a simple yet globally unprecedented way. And I left my job practicing law to do this because climate change is the greatest challenge of our time. It is not oil companies, it is not the tar sands, it is not pipelines that is causing climate change. It's us, it's humanity. We all share responsibility for this issue. If we can shape market demand, if we can help people to connect the dots, I think that's a way that we can transform and act on climate change. My organization is working to put climate change warning labels on gas pump nozzles, similar to those we see on tobacco packages, because it's not until we're made to face the reality of what we're up against, it's not until we're made to feel responsible for this, that we will then be able to move forward in meaningful ways. What this idea does is it takes those faraway consequences be it the extinction of species, drought and famine, or ocean acidification, and through the use of image and text, brings it into the here and now. It helps to mitigate the effect of the current moment bias and takes a problem of no feedback and builds feedback. The placement 
of the warning label on the gas pump nozzle takes a problem of diffuse origins and, quite literally, it locates responsibility right in the palm of your hand. If we burn fossil fuels, we contribute to climate change. Climate change causes a rise in sea level. That then necessitates the spending of billions of dollars to upgrade our coastal infrastructure. Economists know that those costs can and should be reflected in the price of the product that's actually causing the harm. In internalizing that cost through something like a carbon tax, we can show the true price of this product to the marketplace. This idea, this market signal, can contribute to an important cultural shift. This could be an important moral input that helps to transform markets. So we may worry about climate change, tar sands, pipelines, and so on, but we never question the simple act of pumping gas. There is a complete disconnect. What this does is it forces the question, if not this, then what? It disrupts the narrative and makes space for a new story to be told. Businesses and governments will respond to this shift in demand. We just need to be made to want those alternatives. And this idea can be a nudge in that direction. Well, let's so, talk about what do the labels look like yeah. in Canada and what do they look like here? Is there a difference? Well, the Canadian versions, we haven't seen them, but they're, they're sort of following the lines of being friendly, showing ways people can reduce gas consumption, and also kind of a, a dichotomous uh, message. One, it's kind of friendly, but it's like gasoline contributes to climate change. Uh, so they're trying to go down this middle of the road. Are they uh, visually, graphically depicting the uh, not, terror of climate change? Uh, some of the labels, if you look at our horizon, have images of of uh, dead animals from drought in Africa. And so they are going uh, – we don't know for sure if they're going to go down this really graphic, like the cigarette labels that you're seeing um, with people with you know whole tracheotomies and stuff like that. Is there any scientific literature about the effectiveness of – Something that is a little scarier versus something that's a little yeah. nicer. Yeah, there is. The unfortunately, it, it's a little uncomfortability with this, but the research shows that tobacco labels that have graphic images are more effective than just text labels only. I think the main way to look at the labels is not that they, in and of themselves, will change behavior in an instant, but more in how they change how we perceive the normalization around our, in this case, using fossil fuel. And so, so that's when I pick up the gas job. pump and look at, the, will I even notice it? I mean, how <laughs> are we going to notice that? Well, y you may not notice the labels at first. You know, we're making a few assumptions. The labels will be as visible as possible with all the competing advertising on a gas pump. So our proposal, I think, if you want me to describe what our labels... Yeah, but what would I see? They'll have a graphic image. It's called a, We're calling it its little cartoon car bug with a, with a puff of CO2. So they graphically communicate a friendly image of a car, but the reality of the CO2 that comes out of our vehicles. And the um, CO2 cloud is black. Yeah, is, in this case it so is. So the colors are effective. The, the colors might change depending on what happens uh, legally. And then what we're doing underneath in terms of text and communication is we're communicating EPA statute. So uh, if you look up Section 202A, this is specifically deals with emissions that come from transportation, from cars and trucks, okay. uh, from the gasoline that we consume. Uh, it, it shows, you know, basically already existing findings 
on the fact that petroleum-based transportation fuels contribute to climate change and therefore have an impact on human health and welfare. So we're not making anything up here. We're just disclosing the information of already existing statute, uh, particularly in Section 202A. This is an interesting (laughs) area because you and I both know that there's a real challenge in getting people to react to something that they can't see. Right. That's not immediate to them yet. Right. How can we make a paradigm shift? That's that's kind of the the main focus of this campaign. So we're not really, as I said, we don't expect people to see the labels and then go, oh, I'm going to push my car to work. I won't start my engine. Although from a greenhouse gas perspective, that would be the best thing to do. <laughs> we realize that's a ridiculous notion. We're, we're primarily interested in how the labels will change perceptions, attitudes, beliefs, the social context, the social license around using fossil fuel in our society, and calling that into question over the long term. So after someone views the label for the first time. So let's say you let's say you don't see the labels, you're not a person that noticed them, but you run into your friend at work who does notice them and says, Hey, have you seen those silly labels on the gas pumps that are talking about climate change? So the first thing that that might do is that it'll elicit a conversation that wouldn't have happened. One of the functions around changing the social norms around using fossil fuel is to kind of stimulate a conversation about the problem of climate change, the problem of using petroleum-based fuels. However inconvenient or how it maybe even elicits this sense of incredulity, Uh, This is a reality, um, and we're not having that conversation. So part of the way to look at these labels is not that they will necessarily make us stop using our cars right now. But over the long term, as cigarette labels did, they changed the social context in order that there was a policy response. It's, it's sort of a timeline if you think about the first labels came out in 1965 for cigarettes. And before the labels, there was a general scientific consensus that smoking caused emphysema and cancer and all these ill health effects. But socially, uh, smoking was normal. Uh, we smoked everywhere. And, you know, I remember as a child, smoking was in the schools in elementary. The teachers would smoke in the teacher's lounge and the smoke would waft out into the halls and now that would be... Oh, that would be a faux pas, wouldn't it? That would be a yeah. major social faux pas. But yeah. what happened with smoking labels is they went into effect in 1965, and that an initial government signal, that official focus on the health effects of smoking and the whole legal aspect of putting the labels on the, on the cigarette packs, that signal changed the way we perceive the risks of sm- cigarette smoking. So no longer was it considered normal. It, we started calling into question its normalcy. It started being denormalized. And so as a response, a few years later, uh, taxes went up on cigarettes. So in 1969, cigarettes had a price increase in taxes. And uh, if you remember in 1971, the Marlboro Man went off television. Right. It wasn't necessarily that the labels elicited a behavior change in a direct sense, that it's arguable that the tax had a larger increase impact on behavior that also you know, losing the, the tobacco company's ability to advertise on, on television also had an impact on behavior. 
really we're addressing a complex issue here. With transportation alone, you're dealing with you know land use, you're dealing with technologies, you know what's available technologically to us. Uh, we're dealing with behaviors. We're dealing with transportation lifestyle. Mm-hmm. And there's a tendency to think of that we're going to fix the problem of transportation emissions with a silver bullet. And uh, some of our our uh, advisors, we have one, Dan Sperling at UC Davis. Uh, we say, you know, we're going to have this terrific technology that's going to save us, right? And he kind of smiled at us and he said, future transportation, you know, low carbon, very low carbon, the types that we need to really address the problem, uh, is going to be a mixture of things. It's not going to be a monoculture that we see today. It'd be quite different. You know, we'll have fuel cell vehicles. We'll have electric vehicles running on cleaner and cleaner energy grid. Uh, but that won't be just it. Those, those technologies will always have limitations in comparison to what we're currently used to. You know, transit systems will, will improve. And the land use changes that will be required to get better transit systems in place will require changes of social and political will. You know, we have to change the social license around using fossil fuel. And in order to achieve these objectives, these are big changes and will require a, a strong kind of political and social response. Do you feel like the technology is there now? It's just the social will that it and the political will that is lagging? I think that if you just roll out an electric car and give consumers an electric car, they don't view the use of fossil fuel as as a, uh, as a serious enough problem, as a serious enough risk that that technology stands out. One of the criticisms we get is, you know, people say, well, doesn't everybody know that fossil fuel contributes to climate change? And certainly that's a legitimate objection. This is good to even think about and when you're talking about criticism and stuff like that. But about 50% of Americans think that climate change is due to the hole in the ozone layer. So, really? <laughs> and, and not due primarily to the burning of fossil fuel. And this is the central issue. I think it's important to point out that in the research we've done, um, regardless of whether we already understand that fossil fuel contributes to climate change, we are, as a marketplace as uh, consumers of petroleum-based transportation fuels, that even if we understand that they contribute to climate change, we're discounting those risks. Convenience being one, right? Exactly. We have a tendency to discount risk mm -hmm. of future consequences, and we tend to favor our short-term needs. And fossil fuel fulfills our short-term needs in exceptional, extraordinary ways. Right. This the vote that happens in San Francisco, mm-hmm. this, what happens at, let's say San Francisco votes yes. Yeah. Will the oil companies try to stop it? I mean, what has been the challenge against this with the oil companies? If the oil companies don't sue and we can implement them and test them, then we have a stronger case to take it to the state. We'll say, here we go. We've got this program. We know that you know, California's largest source of emissions comes from transportation. And this is how effective the labeling was in San Francisco. Right, right. And we need to create support for cap-and-trade legislation. Um, you know, we need to accelerate California's already in-place plans to electrify the transportation system. Here's our proposal. This is happening in Canada. 
if oil companies intervene, which is they're likely to intervene if it goes to a statewide measure. They're going to say this is usurping our free speech. And, and they're going to force a vote. And they're going to force a ballot measure. Yes. If San Francisco adopts it and then the other cities fall in line, now it's important to keep in mind that we've also been talking to the city of Oakland as well, and they're interested, but they're going to sit and wait until they see what happens with the other cities. San Francisco is the most likely candidate to go out front on this. They have the resources. They have the experience to defend themselves in these kind of very contentious, legally Mm -hmm. uh, precarious type of uh, situations. Okay. The oil companies have already threatened Berkeley. Berkeley was out ahead of, of San Francisco. We were you know, chasing Berkeley for, for a couple years. And local politics pushed a, a cell phone warning label for cell radiation up ahead of ours, and initiative got pushed into the back burner. Was that the oil companies behind that, you think? Uh, who knows? The cell phone industry is just as uh, oh. evil, perhaps. <laughs> <laughs> the oil companies already have got wind of this. Uh, the Western States Petroleum Association um, got wind of this and basically threatened to sue that it would be a violation of their First Amendment free speech. And you get into this whole issue of whether, you know, the, whether legally this is policy you're putting on oil companies' personal properties and not factual information. We will argue that CO2 from the burning of fossil fuel is is scientifically proven to contribute to climate change. Okay. And there is no uh, – this isn't policy. This is factual this is information. Fact. Let's say the vote occurs. There's a yes vote. So – this doesn't mean there's going to be labels for a while. Correct. It, so there'll be a lawsuit, <laughs> right? And they'll drag that out, probably. Yeah, it's it's. So are likely. you gearing up for the more probable lawsuit? Then you must be, be thinking about it. Yeah, of course we are. Yeah. Yeah. The, the cities will be largely in the position to defend themselves. So it will be the oil companies versus the city of San Francisco. Yes, and any city that chooses to take it on. And it, it appears to be a tightrope for oil companies to, to walk. And within the context of the investigation going on with ExxonMobil and whether ExxonMobil had already, you know, already existing science in many ways in, ahead of the rest of the scientific community on the issue of climate change. And because a, an oil company's uh, staff is largely scientists. So it's uh, interesting. It's kind of ironic. So whether the oil companies will ultimately sue and you know, drag out this issue, whether their product to be exposed to the fact that their product contributes to climate change, whether they're going to go down this road of defending themselves. Uh, it's probably likely that it'll be uh, the oil companies' lobby groups that will do the dirty, dirty talking. But and, this could be a really exciting opening, this lawsuit. Yeah. That, to me, will bring this to the fore and maybe, you know, educate people a little bit more outside of here even. Right. I think it would elevate the seriousness, the urgency, which we as a species, as a society, are discounting. It doesn't matter if we understand the role of fossil fuel consumption. We are discounting the risks because we discount risks we can't see. As a species, we do well at responding to dangers that we can see and the consequences in front of us. And we're not so good at these 
at the physics that climate change presents us. That's why know. I was kind of hoping the labels would have like burning trees and yes, well, a little we more would, graphic. <laughs> we would love that, and that would probably get struck down in the courts as a First Amendment violation. So the labels that we have currently have passed a couple of rounds of, of legal scrutiny. So the fact that we have that car bug and the puff of CO2 is a really big deal. Yeah, you know, that, I see that. that. Okay. Um, but yeah, I think you, you raise a really, really, I think that the most exceptional aspect of this is, you know, we're, we're calling into question CO2. Does it qualify? Is it serious enough? Is our consumption of fossil fuel, does it warrant a disclosure label? And are oil companies going to get up in front of the American people, in front of the courts, and tell us that their product doesn't contribute to climate change? I'm so kind of looking forward to this battle. Of course, so are we. So we're elevating the, you know, the specter of and the seriousness of this issue, and we're calling into question the entire lack of even questioning you know, using fossil fuel in, mm-hmm. in the, within the context of this risk. So it's really, the labels really are about creating more congruency, you know, between the markets and what the science already knows. And we're trying to, to have markets reflect the most efficient way uh, using information, putting it at the pump, not on a billboard, not on a television ad, but right when we are consuming the stuff. You know, the research shows that, you you know, you start with the individual, you psychologically penetrate that personal space uh, in order for a consumer to of gas to better internalize the risk. That's in the social science term. When we begin to internalize the risks from fossil fuel, we change that social context. Uh, the research shows on an individual psychological level when people better internalize risks from various things, they are more likely to take action. Um, And they'll probably be more likely to support a carbon tax. Exactly. These labels really operate. They're just another way of communicating cost. Uh, They operate like a carbon tax, exactly. It's the same analogy. They're more politically expedient. You know, carbon tax, to get one that's, you know, high enough, uh, that will actually change behavior. Mm-hmm. Um, and there's, that in combination could be right. and really effective. The labels are really designed to be complementary policy, uh, particularly here in California because we have cap-and-trade mm-hmm. rules. We just had Jerry Brown sign an extension of the Global Warming Solutions Act to achieve our objectives in emissions in California. Transportation is the largest source of emissions in California. Because it's not consumers. just California. All of the U.S. is the largest source Correct. of emissions is uh, it just, transportation. Uh, uh, no, it just surpassed um, electricity generation wow. just, I think, this year. Wow. Because a lot of, of um, coal um, has been converted to natural gas. And uh, you know, we are starting to make some dents in the electricity uh, emissions trajectories. But now we have this 800-pound gorilla, which is our transportation choices. And we are veering more towards, you know, heavy usage of gasoline again in this country. Unfortunately, you know, vehicle miles traveled have gone up. Consumers are favoring bigger SUVs. And we have electric vehicles. But like I said before, we haven't changed the social context around fossil fuel. It's kind of an economic issue in a lot of these areas. It's true. And if you lived in Ohio or, you know, or... West Virginia and your and your economic system is based on coal, then it's going to be a lot harder conversation. I, I worry about the time it takes to push these things along. Mm-hmm. 
And I think that it's important, you know, when you you discuss matters, you know, these types of things, is it, we are dealing with a really complicated thing. What we're doing is just we're not coming up with a solution for climate change in general here with our strategy. We're just dealing with a component within a myriad of solutions just to deal with transportation emissions and particularly the way we perceive socially the use of our continued consumption, our everyday consumption of fossil fuel and not even beginning to you know, deal with the other issues. This kind of uh, fantasy silver bullet, you know, that there's going to be something out there if we wait long enough, uh, some technological solutions, you know, all we need is a carbon tax. It's, it's not. It's going to be a combination of things. And just within the context of transportation fuels, we need to operate on changing social norms around fossil fuels in order to facilitate a more you know, comprehensive approach to dealing with transportation emissions just within that sector. So if you think about the little pieces of the pie, you know, uh, electricity generation and agriculture, all of those will also need their own specific tools. You know, we're not arguing that carbon taxes are not important. They would have uh, a broad application, an efficient application on, in all of the sectors, but they alone won't, won't take care of the problem. Lots of research we've done on carbon taxes is in the short and intermediate term, they have very little impact on consumption uh, in the transportation sector in particular. So people will tend to cut elsewhere. What does make the difference in the transportation sector? Do you, do we know that yet? We I don't think we really know. It yet. seems like it would be uh, governmental leadership, just a blanket policy, kind of a top-down. But it needs a political and social consensus for that to occur. And so we have to create markets, again, like I said, that are markets for these, you know, these solutions uh, that are more congruent with the science. Are you working with any other groups? Yeah, that- we're working with the Sierra Club uh, in the San Francisco Bay chapter. Is uh, we, They are in support and going to help us out. And San Francisco League of Conservation Voters. Yeah, those are our main environmental groups. I think the issue that this label addresses, and it's important to point this out, is we all understand that there's a lot of climate denial being funded by oil companies, and it's evil, unequivocally evil. But the emissions occur in this sector by the demand for the fuels. If you want oil companies to go away, you have to target demand. The you have demand, to stop using it. The demand is us. It's us. We get people saying this is a guilt trip or, you know, people are not going to, they're going to ignore it because it's too negative. And it's, a, it's important to point out that it's an appropriate intervention because it's targeting who chooses or who determines the emissions. Um, and so it really matters when you switch from your guzzler, you know, your SUV to the most fuel efficient car you can buy mm-hmm. when you, when it comes time to purchase a car or when you carpool or when you take transit, et cetera, et cetera. However inconvenient these solutions may sound to you, these behavior changes are going to ultimately determine the emissions um, and transportation. And, and so if you want the oil companies to go away, you uh, make them go into the you know, medicine business only and 
or making photovoltaic solar panels. Yeah, they should have just stayed in the energy sector (laughs) and gone renewable. (laughs) Right. If you want the tar sands in Canada to go away, you know, those tar sands come out the tailpipes of of our SUVs. This is the reality. So the labels are an appropriate intervention. They, They are that interface between you and your demand for the fuel. Okay, Jamie. Well, how do uh, listeners who maybe have questions or w- do you have a website they can go to to learn more about this? And, and also, if they want to help you yeah. campaign to get this passed in San Francisco. Yeah, well, we'd love to have people write letters to uh, the San Francisco Board of Supervisors. Uh, the best way to reach us is Twitter, at Beyond Pump, capital B and capital P is our we operate our website. It's ourhorizon.org. We share the same website with, with the Canadian group. With the Canadian group. So we're, we're together in that way. So you can look us up on that. And uh, yeah, the letters matter. Just, just say I'm in support of climate change warning labels on gas pumps. You can just write a general letter. The best thing to do is to write letters, write to John Avalos, the supervisor, he's our sponsor. Jeremy Pollack is his legislative aide. And let him know that you're in support of this this legislation and to just keep beating the drum. Can so, people from outside of San Francisco sure. write letters? So Yep. Yep, okay. Absolutely. It all matters. It all matters. I can't tell you. It sounds so cliche, but it it matters when you when you're a politician and you see a letter of support, it gives you a little warm and fuzzy feeling. Okay. And that is that we want to keep that warm and fuzzy. This is good. This is this is the right thing to do. And that energy level uh, and keep it flowing towards San Francisco. We have Seattle also considering the city of Seattle. And Seattle will be sending a letter to the Board of Supervisors as soon as we get dates and support. So Seattle will probably latch on to this legislation. And it goes on. I mean, we, uh, Newton, uh, Massachusetts, and Cambridge, Massachusetts, we're in contact with, with counselors there in those cities who are also looking. So there's a lot of looking, and cities are going to have to be brave and be willing to take on the potential for a lawsuit. Um, and some very experienced lawyers have told us this could be something that could be in the courts for years and years. So but it could also change the tide. It could also change the tide yeah. and change the entire question of our society using fossil fuel Legal. as an energy source. Jamie Brooks from yeah. Beyond the Pump. Thank you for <laughs> thank being you on the program. The thank you for your courage. And yes, I wish you, you a lot of luck. And uh, thanks again. Appreciate it. Thank you very much. You've been listening to Method to the Madness a weekly public affairs show on KALX Berkeley featuring Bay Area innovators. Tune in again next week, Friday at noon.